0: nothing that happens in this universe without authority to happen. The sun doesn't come up by accident. The rain doesn't fall by accident. The continuation of the cosmos as it hangs within its uh, perspective traits and characteristics doesn't just happen it happens by authority we started a study a few weeks ago on the authority what is the authority of this world what is the authority that the stars and the moon and the Sun the cosmos answers to in Colossians 118 we learned that Jesus is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. We learn in John 1.1 that Jesus is the creator of all things. He was the word that's spoken of there. In the beginning was the word, John said. The word was with flesh, and the uh, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and by him all things were made. And then it says, without him was not anything made that is made. He's the creator, as well as the savior of this world. And after his humiliation and his fulfillment of the will of God, the plan of God to redeem ruined humanity, He raised up in the fulfillment of it and he said all authority has now been given unto me in heaven and in earth. He took his divine position once again after making a sacrifice for our sin. After becoming a creature like you and I that he might associate with us. That he might uh, give comfort to you and I in that he suffered in all points like as we are. That we have. And so we began a study on authority. Who has authority? Because, you see, we look at this world in our very small understanding of politics and other things that goes on in the world. We we don't understand why all the trouble, the problems, Well, they have purpose or they wouldn't exist. Problems can be the resolve to a situation. You understand that. You give your children problems when you take the belt after him. He has a problem. There's gonna be some hurt and some tears, but the results of it is what you're looking for because you have authority and you know in your what wisdom the outcome of this. And so we started a study weeks ago on authority who has authority and I'm talking about not only authority over us I'm talking about who has the author- total complete authority now Daniel in 4th chapter in verse 34 you remember Nebuchadnezzar he ate grass like an ox for 7 years he was the ruler of the world there wasn't a habitation anywhere that wasn't under his authority He ruled the world by the design of God. And he got a little bit arrogant about his authority. He went out on his balcony one morning, as the Bible describes it, and he looked out over all that he ruled over, and he said, "'Is not this great Babylon mine, which I built with my might for my glory?' And it was about that moment that God struck him down to where he ate grass like an ox and lived in the field for seven years. And the pronouncement was that he'd be there eating grass like an ox until he come to learn who rules in the affairs of men. And he did. And he testified to it in the twenty-fourth verse, thirty-fourth verse. <coughs> He said, now I know that God rules in the affairs of men. He sets up kings and presidents and rulers. And he does according to his bidding in the armies of heaven. And no man stays his hand of action when he sets it to do something. Nor do they call him into question as to what he does. And so we were studying this authority not only again of men and of our lives and of nations' lives, national lives. You know, you read the Old Testament, you see God's hand of rulership in those nations. And in His grace and mercy, He allowed man and his nations to go so far. But there's a line drawn in the sand. God's grace can be overstepped. Paul talked to the Athenian philosophers about it in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. As he talked about this God that they ignorantly worshipped, and he said, he said, God at one time overlooked or winked at the ignorance of man. He was patient with man. But now, in view of the cross, he commands all men everywhere to repent. And here's why. Because he's established a day in which he'll judge this world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, wherein he's given assurance unto all men that he raised that one from the dead. And so the resurrection is assurance that that's the one that is the judge, the one that has all authority. And so the Bible's very clear that God, and Jesus is God, he's of the Godhead. God is a name, we understand that, don't we? It's a name. It's not of one particular person, it's of three persons. It's like the Howard family. Howard is a name that represents six people, me and my wife and my four children. We're all Howards. We lived in harmony with the same mind, the same judgment on things. I was the authority over that household. And so, uh, as we looked at the authority of all things, including the rocks and the trees, and, the, and the, when you read in the Bible about the rocks hearing the command of God, Don't laugh at that. Oh, but I didn't see no ears on that rock. Well, so you didn't. I didn't either. And so you didn't see no ears on the mountains that God talks to. But his authority is so awesome that he spoke this world into existence. And he talks to this world as you and I would talk to one another. And it answers him. He talks to these volcanoes and tells them it's time for you to erupt and get man's attention. It talks to the sea and says, bring on the tsunami. It's time to talk to them people. And they hear him and they obey him. And don't be so stupid as to think, well, because they don't have ears, I don't know how they could hear hogwash. Anyway, we're speaking about, we've been looking for weeks at that authority. We've been trying to make it simple enough so that we can see it in a bird's-eye view. We, there's, the whole Bible declares what we're pre- teaching this morning. But we've, we've uh, limited the Scriptures down to just a few very impactive statements about this authority that God has. And so in the family of God is three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're all equal. We've already studied many times. And in the view of that, we found out that there was one that humbled himself being the creator of this world. You remember Genesis, God said, let us make man in our own image. Us is more than one. He was speaking to the Godhead. And this one who is the Christ, he's the one who has all authority. Now, these are lessons we've already looked at. I'm trying to bring us to our lesson this morning in kind of a review. But Christ in Matthew 28, verse 20, declared, All authority has now been given unto me because he finished the work that the Father done after he'd humbled himself to become a man like you and me. A man who had to face the devil with faith only as we have to. And he showed us the victory is in faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Here's a biblical statement. And he proved it. And here, uh, so we see that Christ has all authority in heaven and in earth. And again, I I love to remind people who are simple-minded. Now, I'm not calling you simple-minded. But people have a tendency not to think much farther than their eyeballs can see. But let's suppose that there's someone living out there on them planets. I don't believe that for a minute, but let's suppose there are. Look at the impact of what Jesus said. All authority has now been given unto me. Where? In heaven and on earth. There is no limitation to his authority. He rules this world. He sets up kings. He brings kings down. He set up Obama. He set up Genghis Khan. He set up. All of these rulers had a purpose in it. Had a purpose. We needed some whippings and we got them. Did they teach us anything? Yes, they did. And when nations overstepped their boundaries, as Paul said to the Athenian philosophers, God has established bounds and habitations beyond which the nations cannot go. And when they did, They died because, you see, your history book is just a directory through the cemetery of nations that once were and are no more. Why aren't they? Because of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rules this world. Men don't. That's one of the comforting things about the Bible, isn't it? Man's not in charge of this world. God has a a consummation of what is the purpose of this whole world out there in the future yet. And He's bringing it to its consummation through His rulership and authority. But getting back to what we've studied, Christ has all authority. Every bit of it. And that all-authoritative word is vested, that all-authority is vested in his word. Listen to him one more time in John 12, 48-50. He that rejects me, Jesus said, and receives not my words, has one that judges him. The very word that I have spoken, the same to judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, But the Father which sent me gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. I didn't finish that verse, no need to. But he has all authority and all authority has been vested in his word. Well, what did he do with his word? How can I know his word? Where is his word? That all authoritative word was given to the apostles. And I think we studied that sufficient for you to understand that these men were special. These men were just not uh, vagabonds that drifted in and heard Jesus and thought they'd write something about him. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus told these 12 men, You did not choose me. I chose you. What did he choose it for? Stay in that same chapter and read verse 27 and 28. He chose them to one day receive the Holy Spirit to guide them into all the truth. Not part of the truth, not some of the truth, not an inefficiency of the truth, but the complete, total Absolute truth about everything that pertains to man that he needs to know. The Bible's not incomplete. And so the word we read and we study is the all authoritative word of the Lord that was given to the apostles. They were commissioned to go into all the world and preach that word to every creature. (laughs) Oh, how could that be that these 12 men could go into all the world and preach the gospel? They didn't doubt it. You know why? Because they'd seen the power of the Lord in his miracles. They were convinced there was nothing impossible for him to do. And also, what did he say in the next statement after he charged them to go into all the world? He said, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Who's with those who preach the truth? And particularly the apostles at that time, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think anybody could stand against him? Do you think any power could stand against him when he has all authority? And so you and I have the unadulterated, absolute authority of God. We are not in doubt about any aspect of our salvation or of our problem that brought us to the needing salvation or who rules this world in any respect. We just don't read it. We're too busy in our stupidity ha ha about things that are too deep for us to even imagine. So Christ has all authority. He vested all authority in his word. He gave that all-authoritative word to the apostles to make known to this world, and they did. Paul said in Colossians 1, verse 26, by the time he wrote that letter in A.D. 62... That the word had been preached to every creature under heaven. There wasn't a man or a woman that hadn't heard the gospel. Because that's what Jesus had told them to do. And they did it. He said, go into all the world. Not part of the world. Not some of the world. All the world. And preach the gospel. Not to some. Not to whoever wants to hear it but to every creature, and they did it. We also looked in one lesson of the sufficiency of that word. Is it sufficient? Does it have the sufficient power to make take a, an alien sinner, one who's steeped in sin, and bring him to the love of God John, for example, in John 20, verse 30 and 31, he waits till the end of the book to tell you why he wrote the book, but he does tell you why. He says, truly, many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name, and many other things we looked at in regard to its sufficiency for you and I in our dependency on God. And then last week we went into the respect that God demands for His Word. There's a judgment day coming. You ha-ha at that? Go look at the cemetery. There's one judgment called death. Is it pretty final? Is it pretty universal? Do you have any doubt about that? Go laugh at the cemeteries! They're a testimony to certain laws that cannot be violated with impunity. And when you've lived your life whether it be three score and ten, or by reason of strength, the scripture says a few years more, you will answer to that law. Well, that was because of sin. But we looked at the fact that God demands respect for His all authoritative word. He didn't send it as a ha ha. He didn't send it for men like me to stand in the pulpit and make jokes out of it and talk of it as though it was something simple and simple Simon. It's an absolute. There ain't no smiling when you're talking about the authority of God. There ain't no room for laughter. Laughter. 1 Peter 4 Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the very mouth of God, to the intent that God in all things may be glorified. 1 Corinthians 4 6 Paul said, Don't ever think of any man above God's word. Don't ever elevate some man above God's word. If he can't show you in God's word, then he's a liar. We saw the demand of God's uh, respect that He demands for His Word and the fact that He will not tolerate addition at all. 1 John 3 and verse 9. You don't add to God's Word. Revelation twenty two eighteen. You add to God's Word and He'll add to you the plagues that are written in that book. Have you read about those plagues? Proverbs 30 and 6 Had thou not unto his words lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. But God will give you the grace to prove what you are. You want to be a liar? Go right ahead. Try it. Not only will he not allow any addition but no subtraction or substitution to his word. Revelation 22:19. 19 whosoever subtracts or substitutes from God's word God will take away his part out of the city and out of the things written in that book in this book Matthew 15 9 Jesus declared openly about the Jews that they were teaching for doctrine the commandments of men we're living in a world of confusion in the religious area because 99% of it is teaching for doctrine the commandments of men and are quoting scripture to do it. Not that the scriptures are deceiving but the way they misuse them are confusing. There's been many a soul led off into Mormonism into Jehovah Witnessism, into uh, Seventh-day Adventism, into Catholicism, into all of the isms of this world. They've been led into them through their ignorance because they're not reading this book. And when you sit down in an honest study with an honest soul about the truth of their doctrine, they see immediately how ridiculous and how false it really is. Well, we got down to our lesson for this morning. Number five. (coughs) In number five is point F. (coughs) Old Testament examples of men who fell because they violated God's law. Now, you've got to understand that these men fell because they answered to law. They were under law. But it doesn't mean that they were lost eternally because a lot of them we know went to heaven. We read about it in the New Testament. But they died in the Old Testament because they violated law. Look at Moses. God chose Moses. God testified that there was not another meek there was not a meeker man than moses god chose him to lead the children of israel out of egypt's bondage but god disobeyed god uh, moses disobeyed god and god said because of your disobedience you're going to die you won't see canaan's land and god graciously took him upon mount Uh, Mount Horeb showed him Canaan's land, and he died, and God buried him. He answered the law, but he was saved by grace. So keep that in mind as we deal with the fact that God demands respect for his word. And so we're going to go through these passages. We're going to do a lot of reading this morning. In Romans 15 and verse 4, let's start there as we look at these Old Testament examples. Paul informed us in the New Testament that whatsoever things were written aforetime, that's back in the Old Testament. Whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning. Do you know what the colleges have been teaching for years? The schools that you pay the top dollar for the highest education and pedigree. You know what they've been teaching? Oh, you don't need to study the Old Testament. Why, we're under the New Testament. That Old Testament done away with. Why? It's a waste of time to study the Old Testament. Well, they just called the Apostle Paul a liar. He said, what's everything's written before time were written for our learning? That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so we're going to go back to the Old Testament. And we're going to learn, particularly in this case, the authority that God has for His Word. we begin in Genesis 3 well I don't think we need to read it as much as most people <laughs> practically everybody's read it but let me just talk you through it in Genesis 3 God warned man he said I've placed you in a, in a beautiful garden of Eden in my presence and you're allowed to walk and talk with me and to have communication with me, fellowship. And of all of the millions of trees in this garden to eat of, there's one outside there that don't touch. Because the day you do, you shall surely die. And then there's the garden, the tree of life. It was in the midst of the garden. Here was a tree of life and the tree of death. Which one did they choose? the tree of death. The devil deceived them. And the devil quoted Scripture to do it, just like the denominational world is doing today. They quote Scripture to damn men's souls. Because the devil asked Eve, As God said, thou shalt not eat that tree? Yeah. Lest you should surely die. The devil quoted that verse and just changed one word to change this whole meaning. He said, thou shalt not surely die. He's been doing that from the very beginning. But the important thing is that our father and our mother partook of the forbidden fruit, same as we have. Read Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 5, verse 12. We've done just like our father Adam. Here's the tree of life and the tree of death. And man just can't wait to run over and enjoy the temporary uh, pleasures of this damn world we live in. Which has an end. Is going to die one day with you. And they just fail to reach hold to the tree of life but God gives a choice. What happened to them? Did God spank them on the hand and say, well, that's okay. No, we read where He come to them and He told them. Because of what they done, they was put under a curse, weren't they? The woman was cursed first because she was the one that introduced it. Paul tells you about that in 1 Timothy 2 in the last few verses he says the reason a woman is not to teach nor to usurp authority over the man is because Adam was first made then Eve that doesn't mean that woman is less important than a man at all but if you want to know the progression of creation God created man first and he created the woman For the man. Boy, that isn't being teached anywhere, is it? Did you hear that in public school? Did the great educators of this world teach you that? No. And they ain't about to. And so Paul said, secondly, in 1 Timothy Timothy 2, He said the man wasn't deceived but the woman was. And that's why she's not to teach the man. He knew full well what was coming down the pike when he ate of that fruit. She didn't. She was deceived. And that's why for the rest of her life the rest of the existence of womankind upon the earth they're not to teach nor to usurp the authority of the man. Now whether you like that or not I can't help that but that's the unadulterated word of God and that doesn't make you inferior at all. If it bothers you, go read Galatians 3:29 because Paul said in Christ there's neither male nor female, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay? But woman has her job and man has his job and they're just a little bit different. Man has authority and the woman has submission. In Ephesians fifth chapter, nowhere in the Bible does it tell a man to obey his wife. But the only statement made about obedience in regard to the relationship of marriage is to the woman. In Ephesians 5. Wives, obey your husband in all things. A woman plays a very important role or God wouldn't have created her. She's the emotional side of the family. She's the one, the glue that holds it together. The man is the one who rules primarily from logic and reason. And he's the one who's sent out to face the world in view of his wife and the children. They both have a job to do, but those jobs are different one from another. The schools, did they teach you that in school? <laughs> I'll bet you a million dollars they didn't. that's God's word in mind I give you the references you look them up and again let me say that it doesn't make woman inferior to man at all it just says that she was beguiled and deceived and man wasn't and for that reason she's not to teach nor to usurp the authority of a man She has no right to the pulpit. Can I say it any clearer? Or the teacher's podium? Can't be said any clearer. And so because of their sin, somebody says, well, wasn't God kind of hard on them people? Why? All they did was just partook of a little fruit. God said, don't do it, and they did, and they died. God drove them out of his presence after cursing them. The woman was cursed and childbearing, having pain in her childbearing. And also he said, your desire, as he spoke to the woman, your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. I'll never forget on a construction job in the lunchroom. We had a woman inspector, and boy, she was hot-headed. And she was a woman's liver. And she was in there stomping the floor, walking up and down in our lunchroom, telling us how to, uh, about woman's rights and authority. And this old man smiled, and he told her very quietly, he said, you know, we gave you the right to speak and to vote back in 1909. And he said, we can still take it away from you anytime we want to. (laughs) Man, that didn't sit right at all. (laughs) But God put the curse on the woman, pain and childbearing. You know any woman that's exempted from that? What about the great doctors of today? Can they invent a medicine, a pill you can take to avert the the curse of God on the sin of woman and introducing very naively sin into this world? No. And then he put a curse on the devil. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and he shall, speak of the seed of woman, and he, the Christ, shall come forth and destroy thy head, but thou shalt bruise his heel. That happened at Calvary. That's where the devil's power and influence over man to destroy him was destroyed itself. And the cross was a very insignificant wound, like a heel wound. A heel wound will heal. A head wound won't. That's your control center. And that's what it was speaking of in Genesis 3.15. And so they were driven out of the presence of God. You can read about it further in 1 John 1 verse 4. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Adam and Eve could not walk in the presence of God with darkness. And so they were driven out of the garden. And the veil between God and man was there until Jesus came and ripped it down on the cross. And he gave us his righteousness. And he took our sin. Well, that's a lesson within itself. We get down to Leviticus 10 1 and 2. Here's two sons, the sons of Levi. Now, Levi was one of the 12 tribes that God chose to carry out the priestly functions of offering the sacrifices. And look what it says in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, of the Levitical priesthood, they took each of them his censer, and they put fire therein, and laid incense thereon. See, they're fixing to carry out the duties that God gave them in regard to offering a sacrifice. But look what it says. And they offered strange fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. And there came forth fire from before Jehovah and devoured them, and they died for Jehovah. What did they do wrong? They offered strange fire. Now that tells you that God told them, and you can study this out, y'all but it tells you very clearly that God told them what kind of fire to offer. They offered a strange one. They thought, well, we're doing God's will, we're offering sacrifices, we've, put the incense on and we've done everything he told us but let's try this strange fire and what happened and there came forth fire from before Jehovah and devoured them and they died before Jehovah go ahead and read down through there God told them boys father don't shed a tear don't even begin to shed a tear why? because they deserved it they earned it does God demand respect for his word? I believe so let's look at another case Numbers 20 in regard to Moses. You can read that chapter if you want to. No need for me to read it. But Numbers, the 20th chapter. God chose Moses as a leader to lead three million, three and a half million people out of Egypt and to see to their needs. And Moses finally got a belly full of it. It was an overwhelming uh, responsibility. He cried out to God and he said, Have I given birth to all these people that I ought to be responsible? Anyway, God let them come to a point to where they needed water in the desert God was wanting to show his power and his love he sent Moses and he said see that big rock over there probably a mountain that's the way I understand it a mountainous rock he told Moses go over and speak to that rock to bring forth water for three and a half million people, their sheep, their oxen, their cattle, their, all of their animals. And Moses had a belly full of them people. I don't blame him. And he went over and he struck that rock. He didn't speak to it. God said, speak to it, he struck it. You read of an earlier occasion when they were crossing the Red Sea, when God per, uh, performed water for those people the same way. Only on that occasion, God said, strike the rock. But this time, God said, speak to the rock. Well, you and I'd say, well, you know, there ain't a whole lot of difference. Why would God get upset like that? Cause he said, speak to the rock. He didn't say strike at that time. And Moses struck it. And Moses was quite upset. He said, must we fetch water for you rebels? He got a little tired of hearing her whining and her crying. Oh, you brought us out in the desert to die! No water. Where's the water? Because he struck the rock, God told him, you'll not enter Canaan's land because of that. And he didn't because later on, God took him up on the mountain, showed him the promised land and killed him. And God buried him. Does that mean he missed out on heaven? Oh, no, no, no. It just meant that he answered the law just like you and me. If I go out here and shoot a man, doesn't mean I may not be going to heaven. It just means that I'm going to answer the law immediately. Our time's up. We've been up for 15, 20 minutes. Let's stop right there and we'll begin. In Samuel next week, I didn't think we'd get through all of this. You and I need to be impressed with what the Old Testament has to say about the authority of God. Whether you like it or not, that's the way it is. You're living in a world of responsibility. You don't believe that? Go out and put a, put a, a blinder on your eyes and stand in the freeway. There's laws out there governing that, isn't there? Somebody ain't going to see you and smack you to pieces. You ain't going to be here anymore. Life demands recognition of law and respect for law. And we're dealing with the law of God. It's going to deal with your eternity. And so we'll finish that next week. And then when we finish this (coughs) phase of studying about the law of Christ and the, the respect and the sufficiency and the deliverance of that law then I want us to go into what that law is. What is the law of Christ? It's a law of grace, that's true. But what is that law? What must we obey to be saved? The world is confused about it. 99% of the religious world laughs at baptism. They say, oh, that's just an antiquated doctrine that the Church of Christ picked up somewhere. Is it? We'll see when we get into that study, but it'll take us a few weeks to get through that one too. But we're next week we'll finish up with these five presentations of the law of God. Thank you. Let's stand while we sing our closing.